Mrs. Anderson, I hadn't forgotten about you. Uh, and before you leave, we wanted to recognize you today because uh, during our Christmas season, we gave out some of these and just wanted to say a special thank you to you for playing the piano. Let's give Mrs. Anderson a round of applause. And uh, it's good to have our pianist back. We appreciate our organist and our pianist and what they do. Otherwise, we'd be stuck with Anthony having to play, and we would get nowhere with that. But uh, let's go ahead and take our Bibles with one another and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, and we'll be together in chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. may just be me today, but it is quiet in this auditorium. I feel like I can hit a, hear a pin drop. And so if, if you feel uh, so led to say amen this morning, that's okay. We're in the house of God. And, uh, and letting a smile come across your face, that's okay too. Uh, just um, get, get your wife's hands and put them on your face so it can thaw your, your face off. And, and then maybe a smile will come across afterward. And there, some of you guys, I got a smile. First thing I've seen all morning of a smile from you. So uh, amen. You know, it's, it's always good to have the Spirit of the Lord in ourself, isn't it? And uh, when, when we think upon what God has done for us, I know when I do, it encourages me. And it, it, brings, it brings a spirit of joy within me. And sometimes I really need to sit and think, about, think upon the Lord and all He's done for me because it's hard to be joyful, uh, especially when you're cold and uncomfortable, and your toes and your hands and your, and your fingers and, and your nose, you know. But uh, that's why God made coffee, amen? But, uh, well, 1 Corinthians 12, and um, we'll look together, at, we'll see how far we get today, uh, but we've been plugging through the book of 1 Corinthians, and Lord willing, we'll be through it at least by the end of January for sure, and uh, so we'll be in some of that uh, tonight also, as the Lord would allow. Um, but uh, let's open this time now with prayer, and let's ask the Lord once again that he would do his, his per have his perfect way with our lives today. Lord, I ask that you would bless as we uh, would begin our study and our uh, application of your word. And Lord, we have sung to you in worship and praise to you thus far. And Lord, I pray that you know, every word which was spoken before you, would, that it was and, and is of a genuine desire to glorify you. And Lord, I pray now as our, we would open our ears and our minds to you, our hearts to you, uh, may we obey you in your word. May we uh, take heed to the truth of your word. May we apply your word in whatever way and fashion that they, that may be. We ask for your blessing upon these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but something I have uh, enjoy doing and have since I was a boy is watching uh, different talent shows. That's always something that I enjoy. Watching different people with different kinds of talents, you know. Uh, if it's America's Got Talent, or I remember there was a show once that we had watched, I don't know where or what exactly, but these different people are coming up with different inventions and things. They have stuff similar to that today, but that always fascinated me. And people coming up with different things that uh, had never been done before, or things that you'd never see done before, except for on that talent show. And, and what, you know, you think about these types of talent shows, it's people gathering together, and they're, in most cases they're competing with, you know, uh, to see who has the greatest talent, you know, who has the best talent. And in the end, you know, somebody's going to win so many thousand dollars or maybe it's a million dollars and, and anything that's under, the, under that, we're kind of like, that's a lame show, right? That doesn't seem a worthwhile prize. But uh, it was always kind of a dream of mine, even as a kid, you know, like, man, 
Uh, someday, I, if I was going to go on a talent show and I won, what would I do with all that money? You know, what would I do if I was the winner of a talent show? But then I always had to conclude at the end of the day, what kind of talent am I going to come on there with? Right? I have to be a talented person to be on a talent show. And uh, there was only, uh, believe it or not, there was about four years of my life as a as a young child that I played piano. And uh, my parents had all of us four kids play piano, and up to a certain point, that it wasn't so much necessarily that um, they left it as our choice to do or not do. It was more the fact that I was not doing it. And so they said, well, we're putting money into something that clearly he has no interest in. And uh, that was only in my mind when playing the piano. It was like, okay, now I lost any chance at all of ever being in a talent show, right? And, uh, but, uh, so don't ask me to play the piano, at least nothing that sounds beautiful. I can play it, it just won't sound good. But um, it, when, when we think of talent, when we think of gifts that God gives us, you know, all of us have different gifts. We all have different talents. Um, I'm not talking about, you know, you can stand on your head and drink pickle juice for, you know, three minutes in your life and nobody else can do it. I'm not talking about that kind of a talent, you know. Uh, but God has given us all gifts. And the truth be told, even though you may not be able to conclude at this very moment what particular gift, per se, that you have been given or that you have, God has given it, given all of us them. Uh, your gift may not be, uh, and your ability, should we say, it may not be with your hands, it may be with your mind. Uh, on the other hand, it, it may be with your hands. You might be a very good worker. Uh, you might be able to build things. Uh, you might be able to get work done in, into a level that some cannot. Maybe your, your mind works on a faster level than some. You're able to, uh, to read at a, at a faster pace. Maybe you're able to math together numbers in ways that, uh, that others cannot in a, on a faster level than others can. Uh, maybe it's uh, just, maybe more of your gift is working with other people. Maybe you're a people person. Uh, you, you just have the gift of hospitality, caring for others, loving others. Uh, maybe your gift is uh, 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 on the lines of uh, musically. Maybe you, you can play an instrument. Maybe you can play many instruments. Maybe it's not in your hands so much as when your voice. Maybe you have a melodious voice and that when you sing, all heads turn and no windows crack and everyone just warms their heart towards your singing because you have such a melodious voice. I, I don't know what your gift is, uh, but I want you to understand this morning as we'll look together that God has given all men gifts. And he's given them all with a purpose, and that purpose being to be used for the glory of God. When we think of the church at Corinth, we find a very, very talented and gifted church. I don't know exactly all the things in which they did, but from the very brief description that is given to us in 1 Corinthians, they were a very talented people. God had gifted them with many things. I imagine when you would consider them as a church, they were the type of church that they always had somebody available to, to, to sing special music, every pastor's dream, right? They always had a choir, and the choir was always there for the practice, and they were always, you know, leading the choir, okay, and, and the pianists were never sick, and when they were, boy, there was always somebody to jump in, and, you know, I, I'm not complaining here, I'm just saying that they were the type of church they always had people to draw from. There wasn't holes to fill in so much, there was always people available to do it. And boy, if they ever needed a new, something new that they wanted to do, they had people who could do that too. If something fell apart, they, could, they had somebody within the church that could help put it back together. If something was electrical, they had an electrician. If something was uh, of a project-wise demolition, they had their demolition crew. If they, they had something new they needed to install, they had that crew also. You know, they, they, they were a very gifted people. They had people of many different talents. 
One especially of those talents, particularly in Bible times, was the gift as we know and refer to be calling that of tongues, the gift of speaking in tongues. Now that is not the subject that we're talking about today, but let us understand that speaking in tongues today and how it is defined today is not at all what we would have found it to be in Scripture. And neither is what we find of speaking in tongues today biblical as what we find in Scripture. You can debate with me another time if you don't agree with me and we'll, we can talk together. But read the book of 1 Corinthians and I can tell you that the Word of God contradicts everything that is practiced along the lines of tongues today. But this was a gift particularly that they were given. And uh, in, in, with all that being said, some of them were given, should we say, greater gifts than others. Now even Paul himself describes the fact that some people are given gifts that, and abilities that exceed others. Does that mean they're a better person? No. But the problem with the church at Corinth was, is that's how the people were responding to this. See, they thought that because I've got more talents or because I have these things, these gifts of my life, therefore I must be a better person or I truly am a better person. And then you had people on the other side that maybe weren't quite as gifted and were fading off into the background because they're seeing all these people who did have talents and gifts who were bickering and comparing and fighting amongst one another for who was better than the other. We find much comparison and division of the church at Corinth as a result of these gifts. Now I remind you, Paul has gone through a number of different details in the book of 1 Corinthians concerning different areas that needed to be addressed within the church. And one of those areas concerns spiritual gifts. I've said this before, but in most of the book of 1 Corinthians, the very first verse especially gives an introduction as to what the remainder of that passage uh, or the, what that chapter in itself is going to be discussed. We know those chapters not to be inspired, uh, but um, uh, they break those divisions for us. And so, we find in verse number 1, Paul now addressing this matter of gifts. He begins by saying, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I gave you understanding, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but the Holy Ghost. So here he's now addressing these are spiritual gifts. You understand, Christian, today that your gifts which you have been given by God, if you are a Christian here today, and I believe I'm talking to many of them this morning, those gifts should be used for the glory of God. They should be used and seen as spiritual gifts. In other words, how can you use your gifts and talents to be used to glorify God in a spiritual way. Maybe your gift is something to do with your hands. Maybe it is something to do with your mind. Maybe it is in a whole other area. But how can you use those gifts and talents to glorify God? Some people will always be the type of people that excel at certain things. No one says you have to become that person. And no one says that person is better than you. But have you taken the time, Christian, to discern what gifts and talents that God has given you? And then with those gifts and talents, use them to glorify God. You see, the problem with the church at Corinth was that they were a very gifted church, but they had gotten their focus off. They were a very gifted church, but they were comparing themselves with others. They were a very gifted church, but they were not using those gifts for the glory of God, but rather for the glory of man. 
they were using them to draw attention to themselves. God forbid that Community Bible Church would ever be defined as a church of entertainment, as a church of people of many talents who are always displaying their talents continually, and it's nothing more of that. But that our talents and our gifts would be with an intended purpose to glorify God. Amen? Let me say, I know that our, our church, as any church, goes, is going through a transition. We might be hitting somewhat of the middle ground of that transition, I don't know, but um, with getting a new pastor and having been through a stage of COVID and all these things, it's transitioned and formed and shaped churches in different ways that pastors, let alone people in general, had not foreseen coming. Some people are no longer back in church. Uh, some people that were in one church are now in a different church. And outside of church altogether, some people aren't even going out, period. Some people haven't had a day where they're not wearing a mask. They've been wearing a mask since the day that all, before the mandates even came out, before all the concerns came. Our world has changed because of things, these things. But may I say, at the end of the day, our gifts and our talents have not. The, the, the mode and how we do things can change. But the means should always stay the same. The means at the end should be with a purpose of an intent to further the work of the gospel. Let me ask you, are you using your talents and gifts for the furtherance of the gospel? Your church may not be this church here in Community Bible Church. But is your, and are your talents being used for his glory? I'm not saying you can't use your gifts outside of the church for God's glory. They should be, and I, I pray to the Lord that they are. But Paul's instructing with this context in mind to the church that the gifts that are given to the people within the church are what should help the church to function. They help the church to keep going. In fact, if the church doesn't use their talents for the glory of God and every one of the people within the church, because the people is the church, if every one of the people don't use their talents to glorify God, it cannot properly function. And that's what the entire context of 1 Corinthians 12 is concerning, is the very matter of, uh, of the church being personified as a body, a body of believers, of members, all needing the other. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but let's look at verse 4. The Bible tells us first the diversity of gifts. The diversity of gifts. He says in verse 4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now notice from verse 8 to verse 10, he doesn't give all and every talent and gift, but he gives some, and that which probably included some which the church at Corinth had. Verse 8, for to one is given by the Spirit of the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the work of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, interpretations of tongues. But all these things worketh that one in the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man uh, severally as he will. The Bible tells us that, first of all, each member has the same spirit. When the word of God tells us in verse 4 of these diversities of gifts, he doesn't end there, but he says they are of the same spirit. In verse 11, he says it again. He says, all these worketh that one and the self same spirit. The church at Corinth was treating their gifts and talents as it was their own and being used only for their glory, 
only for their benefit. But it is Paul who instructs the church at Corinth to help them understand that your gifts are all sourced and given by the same Spirit. Your talent and ability to even be able to do those things is as a result of God. And so therefore, when your gifts are being used in the house of God, they should be used through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when our gifts and talents are being used through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, then they aren't being done for our glory. They're being done for the glory of God. You say, well, how in the world do I apply my gifts, my talents, uh, to be used for the glory of God in that way? Uh, read the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, at the end of the verse, the end of the chapter, rather, you, the Word of God gives us of those fruits of the Spirit. We've been going through that in, the, in our Sunday school, I know, for the... Uh, for the um, uh, senior saints class and, and uh, been studying through those, those fruits of the Spirit. But Christian, those fruits of the Spirit being intertwined and applied, that yielding of yourself to God and dying to self, giving God all of yourself to Him and whatever He would have for you, that's what we're talking about. This self-same Spirit. The Holy Spirit working through you. Unfortunately, today, the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit has been and can be defined as some, uh, you know, uh, jaw-dropping, uh, you know, body-throbbing type of fashion as though you know, it's some supernatural way in which we cannot control our body. But yet the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit does not work that way. But rather, that the moment that you receive Christ, that you become a Christian, that is, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Now, the Holy Spirit can live inside of you, but it is your, it is you and I's intent that with the Holy Spirit there that we yield to Him. Because until we yield to the Holy Spirit, we're not being uh, led by Him. We're not being uh, filled with Him to the use of His glory. You see, all, the, all Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, but not all yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. And this was the problem with the church at Corinth. They were failing to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, hey, let me remind you, all of your gifts and talents come through God. They come from God. And when they are used, they are to be used through the power of the Holy Spirit. You understand today, when we sing in our congregation music, that, uh, that we ask for the Holy Spirit to be present for Him to work, that our voices would bring glory to God and not be sung for the glorification of man. For the Christian who's concerned in their pew of how others might hear them, they're concerned more of their own talent, or lack of talent, or whatever that may be in their voice. They're concerned what others may think more than they are in giving glory to God. When a person um, is, is considering um, their own should we say even physical needs before they're simply acknowledging how God can use me? Uh, they're, they're failing to, to let the Holy Spirit lead their life. Uh, I'll give you an example. When we consider the church, the, the, sometimes we can keep ourselves from using our gifts and talents for God um, because I can't do it. I'm too old or I'm not smart enough or I've never done it before. The Bible tells us, as Paul says in chapter 12 and verse 4, there are diversities of gifts. This is the very subject of which Paul is speaking upon, uh, that they, they, we have all been given talents by God. It is not that we 
do anything more than discern what those talents are and then use those to glorify him. But let us not limit ourselves as a result of our limitations because the truth of the matter is we all, have, we all do have limitations and ultimately because of sin. Amen? Sin will always limit us. Our, our, our failure in our bodies will always limit us. But that should not conclude us to the point where we're saying, I, I'm not going to do anything. Too many churches are either being defined by entertainment where talent is being done for the glorification of man or they're being defined by the pastor, and that's it. What would it be said of Community Bible Church? Would it be said that the people, God's people, are using their gifts and talents to glorify God? Again, let us understand this is the context in which Paul is speaking of. He says uh, that in verse 11, all these things worketh that the one and the self-same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. You see, each member has the same spirit, but each member is part of the same body. Look at verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Uh, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Look at verse 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not the body, is it therefore not the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, uh, I, I am not the body, is it therefore not the body? If the whole body were an eye, where, uh, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God said, set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And I emphasize two things to you. The first being that matter of the body. The Bible tells us that as our physical bodies depend upon different members of our body to function and to process. So the church, the living church, the people within the church are to function in the very same way. Here, he has one talent and she has one talent and he has one talent she has another talent. And we all use our gifts and our talents. Why? For the glorification of Christ. And yet when, when we fail to do so in using our gifts and talents for the glory of God, the church cannot properly, properly function. You see, as Paul says, uh, you know, I am dependent upon both of my feet. I would have a hard time getting around with only one foot. <laughs> you know, I'd be limping around. I'd look awfully funny, too, at it uh, uh, on top of that. But uh, I'm dependent upon both of those feet. I'm dependent upon both eyes. And, and just because uh, my eye is not like my hand doesn't mean I shouldn't have one or the other. But I, my, I need my hands just as well as I need my eyes, just as well as I need my feet. And on and on, every member of my body serves a purpose. My arms serve a purpose. My legs serve a purpose. My mind serves a purpose. I must have it all. Paul says, the church has a body. Every member has diverse gifts. We all have different gifts. But all those gifts must be properly working together to function for what? For the glory of God. Your gifts may not equal to the same as Pastor Miller's, and you won't have to equal too much because I'm down here, right? But uh, uh, your gifts may not be the same. Your gifts may not be anything to maybe even do anything upon this platform. Maybe your, your gifts that God has given to you would be something behind the scenes. Maybe it would be a, a gift of, uh, of an area of serving. Maybe it would be a gift of the area of giving. Maybe it would be a gift of, uh, uh, of simply praying. 
I don't know where, where that may be. But if the church is defined by a, a body of believers that are not functioning as they're intended to function, the church cannot go forward. The church cannot grow. The church cannot sustain as it should. You know, um, I, I can survive without certain members of my body. Certain members. But if it ever comes to a point where I'm without, I can't do it all near to what I could do if I had all of my members. This is what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. He says, some of you aren't doing anything. Some of you are too focused on your own talents. He says, let's get our focus right. The talents and the gifts which we have are to be used for the glory of God. And your gifts and talents may not seem to be as large as some, but yet they have been given to you by God and therefore should be used for the glory of God. So each member is a part of the same body, but we understand that uh, the, the body is dependent upon uh, every member. Every member of the body is dependent upon each other. Uh, it cannot function alone. Um, I once heard it said this way, some churches are filled with tater people. Some people are very bossy and like to uh, tell others what to do, but don't want to soil their own hands. Too many chiefs and not enough Indians. They are called dictators. Some people never seem motivated to participate, but are just content to watch while others do the work. They are called spectators. Some people never do anything to help, but are gifted at finding fault with the ways others do the work. They are called commentators. Some people are always looking to cause problems by asking others to agree with them. It is too hot or too cold, too sour or too sweet. The preaching is too loud and long. Services are too long, etc. They are called agitators. There are those who say they will help, but somehow just never get around to actually doing the promised help. They give lip service to the kingdom of God in the church. They are called hesitators. And then there are those who are always having something nice to say about everyone. They insist on having... Uh, they insist on having it their way and they would never get mad or get their feelings hurt if they didn't get their way. They really exemplify the fruits of the Spirit and they are called sweet taters. And I don't know which tater you are, but the Bible tells us that uh, we have all been given gifts and they should be used for the glory of God. And so each member needs the other. Notice what the Bible says in verse 19. It says, and if they were all one member... Were, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. Worthy verse of marking. Verse 23. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God had tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked. You know, uh, we don't accredit all the time, you know, uh, a, a small toe and, and the functioning of that small toe. But without that toe or the, with a cut in that toe or, uh, or some sore within that foot, uh, it, it affects the whole rest of the body, doesn't it? You ever get a cut in your finger? I, don't know, I can remember cutting myself with a box cutter, slicing it right down the front, and you, you never think that uh, you, you might use that one finger as much as you do, but then when you try to do things, you're like, man, 
I, I had ten fingers, and now with these nine, I feel like I can't hardly do anything. I needed that thumb, you know. I, I, can't, I can't even push this or press this like I, like I used to. and I can't even open a doorknob right, you know. And nothing seems to be right. And so, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that every member is needed to, uh, by the others to properly function. And even the things which we would not credit to be so great are still necessary. Amen? Praise God for that. At the end of the day, it, 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 is, it is when we be, see ourselves as something so great, as we are some kind of head of it all, or we're in charge of it all, that, that we get ourselves in trouble. That we become as the church of Corinth. Unfortunately, this, this can be at fault when we consider the church. This can be at fault for many pastors. The pastors get too big of a head. It becomes all about the pastor. God forbid that that would not happen to our church. Sometimes that, that becomes of, of um, the men in the church. Sometimes of the ladies in the church. Uh, sometimes entirely different. And really, it is Paul who alludes to that later in 1 Corinthians 14 when he talks about uh, the, the, the matter of, of and the proper speaking of those within the church and, and the voice within the church and the serving within the church. And, and so God tells us with all this understanding that there are diverse gifts. And let us understand that um, the talent is not defined by what you can do, but by your heart and willingness to be used by God. And whatever it is that God would use, that it would bring Him glory. It is unfortunate that too many times God gifts people, some people with very great gifts and they don't use them. I remember working with one man in ministry and uh, he was very gifted, very, very gifted at, at many different things. Speaking, uh, he could play the cello very well, and he, he could do a number of different things. Um, very, very gifted individual, very good people person. A um, lot of good things, but to be honest with you, he was lazy. He never liked to do it. He, did, he complained about doing it. He had no desire to do it. It was not something that he wanted to do with himself. And may I say, I'm not saying because I'm better than him. I'm saying the problem was is he got his focus wrong. The gifts and talents that were given to him were for the purpose of bringing God glory, not to himself. And, and, and may I say, that happens too often with churches. Sometimes the men in the church, they refuse to step up into a position of a deacon. Because they say, well, I, I, that's not me. I can't do that. Or they, they say, I can't teach that Sunday school. Or I can't be that treasurer, or I, I can't be that bus driver, or I can't be that nursery worker, or I can't, you fill in the blank. I can't do these things. And we give all of our reasons for why. Let me ask you, has God gifted you in that area? Have you discerned honestly before God, has God gifted me with the ability to be able to do these things? You know, um, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school, but one of, the, one of the reasons, not the entire reason, but one of the reasons why God gives a church a pastor is to help shepherd, more especially, the Christians. Yes, to win the loss, to get the gospel out, but to help shepherd the Christians. And sometimes, when as a description that is given of the church and the pastor, the shepherd and the, and the sheep, sometimes the shepherd has to discern the needs of the sheep. My point is this, is that I'm not lifting myself up, I'm saying the position of the pastor, God gives pastors, sometimes even, to help us to understand and to realize our gifts. If there's one thing I know from having grown up in a pastor's home and being a pastor, is you're constantly praying and asking the Lord and trying to discern where are some different areas that I can find people within this church to help serve him 
and how can they best be used of God in that area? Does it mean that a person is sinning against God because you know, they didn't do what the pastor thought they should do? Not at all. But I'm saying that God can use the pastor. God can use parents. Hey, you may not acknowledge your parents so much as in their authority, maybe at this point in time in your life, maybe you're my age or so, and you've got a family of your own and things, but the wisdom from your parents and the direction of your parents and what you can do for the glory of God is should be of great resource to you. Acknowledge that. Uh, the, those gifts that God has given to you. So the Bible tells us of the diversities of these gifts. Uh, look at verse 28. Uh, actually, verse 25. The Bible says, And there should be no schisms, or that word schism means divisions in the body, but that the members should have the same care for, uh, one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And may I say, the, the idea of that is, is this, that when, when we didn't have Mrs. Anderson here, we were without an organist too. We all suffer, okay? I'm, not, I'm using the word suffer because Paul uses it, okay? We weren't suffering like dying, but it affects us all. It affects everyone. The idea of it is this, is that when all of God's people are using their talents and gifts for the glory of God, that when they are, they are not there, when there is sickness or fault, they're not there for whatever reason, it affects the whole group. And it should affect the whole group. And there should be a discernment of the church to say, hey, there is an area, there is a need, there is somewhere that the body is being affected. Because we all need one another, amen? We all need one another as a church to be sustaining, to be growing, to be serving with one another. And so he says, you are the body of Christ and the members in particular. Look at verse 28. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondly, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? All, all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, verse, chapter 13 is what we would call the love chapter. And we'll look at that in just a moment, of that love chapter that, that Paul describes of charity, suffering uh, long and it never failing. But that excellent way is what he's referring to of the action or how those talents are to be put into use. You see, a talented individual can use their talents and it not glorify God if they're not doing it through charity, if they're not doing it through love. In my Bible, I've taken an arrow and drawn from, if, I don't know how your Bible's laid out, but I've drawn from verse 31 of chapter 12 to verse 1 of chapter 14 verse 1 of chapter 14, where the Bible says, follow after charity. Because this was what he was ultimately trying to help the church to understand, is that your gifts should be produced out of a love for God, and desire to show your love for God, and a love for others. Amen? This is how they are to be used. You see, if our church we used all of our talents and our gifts. Great, we're all functioning together. One suffers, we suffer with them, all these things. But if they're not done in charity, we failed. The Bible tells us, 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at verse number 1. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, the greatest of talents in the world without love or as an annoying noise, he says. Verse 2. And though I have the gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. He says the greatest amount of faith in the world is worthless without love. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. In other words, the greatest amount of deeds or even giving your own life, giving your life to be burned, he said, would be worthless and pointless if it's not done out of and for a love for Christ. You know, that's where I have to remind myself as a pastor when trying to help people, uh, disciple people, uh, you know, this is, th these are areas which you can serve in. These are areas which we can work together in. These are these different things. Uh, ultimately, they have to decide to do it out of a love for God. Amen? If, if we only do things out of obligation, then we, we've, we've missed the point. Uh, if, um, if our uh, pianists were paid, and they're not, though they probably should be, but if our pianists were paid and they only did it for the purpose of income, they'd miss the point. And I say, unfortunately, some churches do that today. If our sound men uh, did, did what they did only for the purpose of you know, getting some credit in the end, they, they missed the point. If our Sunday school teachers only did what they did because, well, I'm just trying to fill in the gaps, I'm just trying to do the things, this is what I can do, and they're not doing it with love, they missed the whole point. The point of it is, it doesn't matter what it is. Paul's not saying these are the only gifts. He's saying it doesn't matter what gift it is. These are gifts that the, ch that the church at Corinth was struggling with. It doesn't matter what gift it is, but the gifts should be used in the love of Christ. You see, the word love is one of those three words, love, as we find in the original language. There's eros love, which is speaking of a sexual love. That's not the love he's talking about. There's phileo love, which is a brotherly love. That's not the love he's talking about. But then there's agape love. And this is that Christ-like love, that sacrificial love, that self-giving love. And so the charity which is being referred to here is an agape love. The, the talents and gifts which are to be used for God are to be done in a love for God and in a love for others. I'm sacrificing of myself. I'm giving of myself. It's not about me. Praise God that when Jesus gave, him, gave himself upon this earth, it wasn't, oh, well, nobody else is going to do it. I'm the only person who can do it, so I'm going to do it anyway. Boy, we'd be in trouble if that were the case. Yet that's how we serve God, unfortunately. Boy, well, I, I, you know, I guess I, I'm... Uh, <laughs> Everyone else failed, so I'm the only person who can do it. That's not how Jesus gave of himself. The Bible tells us, For God so loved, agape loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was such a sacrifice. God the Father gave his Son. It was such a sacrifice that Jesus Christ, being beaten and bruised, that crown of thorns being hammered into his head, those nails being pierced into his, his hands and his feet, that, that uh, his side being pierced in itself, not to mention the, the, uh, the cat of nine tails and the, and the, the whipping and, the, and the, the ripping of his beard and all that Jesus did. An agape love, a sacrificial love. 
It's not about me, he said. It's about the will of the Father. This isn't about what I can do. It's not because I'm the only person who can do it. It's because I'm seeking to fulfill the will of the Father. Jesus didn't come to this earth to say, look at all the healing miracles that I can do. Look at what I can make you do. Look, I, I, I can, I can uh, put a coin in the fish's mouth. Or I can raise the dead. Or I, I can do all these miraculous things. No, Jesus didn't come for the credit of others. Jesus didn't come to display all of his talents and all of his gifts and abilities. Although he definitely had those abilities to do. Yet Jesus came to give of himself. And Christian, this was the principle that Paul was seeking to apply within the church. That God has given us gifts and talents not to be used for our benefit as much as they are to be used for the benefit of God. Amen? The Bible tells us that there is a maturity of gifts. A maturity of gifts. Now, what we find in chapter 13 is Paul referring to the church at Corinth as being children. And we find the conclusion of that in verse 11 when he says, When I was a child... I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away what? Childish things. Paul says, you guys in the church, church at Corinth, you're acting like children. You're serving God like children. You're applying your talents like children. Grow up. <laughs> let's, let's reach a level of maturity. He says, I, when I was a child, I did things as a child would be expected to do. You know, if, if my son Caleb suddenly started speaking in English perfectly, without any flaw, I would be amazed. I would put him on a talent show. <laughs> you know, I'd say, wow, look at what this baby can do. You know, uh, he's an incredible child. But because he's a baby, I expect him to respond like a baby. I expect the, the mistakes he makes to be because he's learning to become a man. Paul says... You're already grown people. You're grown adults. You're, you're husbands and wives. You're working men and women. You, you, you've lived 50, 60. I won't go any higher. You've lived your life on this earth. And for what life did you live on this earth? Are you living to glorify God through your talents and through your gifts? Put away the childish things. Too many young people are seeking to live the Christian life and they're using all their, their or should I say, they're, they're not using all their gifts and talents for God. They've not been able to put away the childish things. They're still focused on the video games. They're still binge watching TV shows. They're still hanging out with friends like, and partying like there's no tomorrow and, and hanging out with, you know, like, they're, like life is, has no limits. And forgetting the ultimate reason why God has left us upon this earth. Because, hey, Christian, put away childish things. Look, there's no problem with watching some television. For goodness sake, there's no problem with playing some games. But the problem comes is when that takes our focus off of our love for God. And should we take that of our talents being used for God? All of which we use, all of which we give to God, when compared to the time that we spend concerning our own lives, in truth be told, it's really minimal. God doesn't ask for a whole lot. At the very least, God asks, God's ask, excuse me, God asks for us to re remember the Sabbath day to keep, us, keep it holy, and some of us can hardly do that. 
God simply says, hey, I've given you gifts. Use them for the glory of God. Stop sitting on your hands, acting like you, 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 you know you own the world and, and, and like you can do whatever you want to do. We just talked about in Sunday school today where Paul says of himself in Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm a debtor. I owe to others. More importantly, I owe to God. I gave this illustration in, in class, but when we think of all the payments that we make on a regular basis, uh, we pay for this bill and for that bill, money comes out this direction for this way, and we think of being in debt, we're, we're trying to get out of it, right? We don't want to be in that position. But we owe a debt to God. Amen? But when was the last time we paid? Put it in an illustration of that form. When was the last time we gave to God? We don't give to God in order just to complete. But we give to God because we have a stewardship which is laid before us. Paul refers to refers to it as a dispensation, he says. A dispensation has been laid upon me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 17. For if I do the things willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. I have a responsibility of the gospel. And the reason why I use my gifts, the reason why Paul says I use my talents, the reason why I do what I do is for the glory of God, because I love God and nothing else more than I love God. The maturity, the Bible tells us, of these gifts. He says in verse uh, number 4, Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. I don't want to spend a long time upon these things, but could I walk you through these, uh, I think I counted 13 different things that, that the Bible tells us of charity. The Bible tells us that charity, or should we say love, is long-suffering and kind. It, it doesn't, it's not quick to respond harshly when others have wronged you. It's not quick to snap back. It's patient. It's, it's not short-fused, as we might say. Or that, that uh, little wick on the end of, uh, of that um, bomb would just blow up if, if something were to happen the wrong way. The Bible tells us that kindness is, is speaking of uh, an eagerness to take action. Charity is kind. I want to do good towards others, toward God even himself. Love is not envious, the Bible tells us. It envieth not. The word envy has to do with that matter of jealousy. Love is not looking at, well, I wish I could do what they do. Paul says when we consider our talents being used for the glory of God, we're not envying others. We're not envying what others can do. Because at the end of the day, we use our gifts and talents for the glory of Christ. Love is not boastful. 
In verse 4, he says, charity vaunt is not itself. It's not puffed up. It's not drawing attention to themselves. It, it, it's, it's one that speaks and, and responds with an attitude of humility. It's not boastful. By the way, there's a difference between uh, meekness and weakness. God tells us to be humble, but he doesn't tell us to sit in our hands and do nothing. We must stay humble in what we do, but it doesn't mean, humility doesn't mean we don't do anything at all. Love has good manners, the Bible says in verse 5, does not behave itself unseemly. This is speaking of someone who knows how to behave like a Christian uh, man or woman. Behaves unseemly. Love is not self-centered. It seeketh not her own. Doesn't do things only for the benefit of themselves and them alone. Love is not easily provoked. Speaking of someone who's not easily aroused to anger or bitterness. Uh, really very similar to how he began. It suffereth long. They're patient. Love is not evil minded. Verse 5. It thinketh no evil. It's not looking for the opportunity to get back. Well, so-and-so did that to me. I'm going to make sure they get the very same thing back. I'm going to respond to them the very way they responded to me. I'm going to make sure they get a piece of my mind because I don't, get, I, I don't, do, I don't agree with what they're doing. It rejoiceth not iniquity. It, it doesn't laugh. This, the charity doesn't laugh at others when something happens to them. Charity is not amused at the faults of others, at the failures of others. Love rejoices in truth. Verse 6, rejoices not in iniquity. It's speaking of someone who's characterized by the matter of integrity. That the praise which is given is given for the fact that there is truth and, and not in sinful things. Love is not defining. That word iniquity is speaking of, uh, of, uh, of sin. Love does not emphasize. It does not promote Deception, gossip, lying, cheating. He rejoices in truth because it dwells upon truth. Love forgives and forgets when verse 7 says, beareth all things. That word beareth literally means to cover or protect. Forgives and forgets. It always finds a way to cover and protect. It, it, ways to forgive, ways to forget. Some things you can never fully and completely forget but you can forgive. Yes, when somebody wrongs you uh, or, or some, something is a, harms you in some way and, and it hurts, love bears all things, the Bible tells us. You're able to move forward. You don't give up. You don't quit. You keep serving God. Love believes the best. In verse 7, believeth all things. One thing I learned as a teenager is believing the best in them. Because if there's one group of people that have a way of, of falling through all the time when you're trusting in them. It's teenagers. They make mistakes. They're growing. They're learning. They're growing. They're on that verge of adulthood. And my pastor used to tell me all the time, just believe in them. Believe in them. Believe the best. Don't believe they're going to go around and do the very same thing they just did two weeks ago. Even though they might do very well do it. But believe the best. Believe the best in them. Love has great expectations. Uh, verse 7, he says, hopeth all things. This is speaking of a love that uh, forgives many times and expects that best from others. Love is strong. It endureth all things. It, it literally means to remain under the load. Again, he's describing yet even further. 
You're not giving up. Hey, when you seek to display your talents and gifts for God in a character of love, there's going to be some times where you really feel like you're under the load. Like maybe even you're overloaded. Like this is so much that's happening. Like how much more can I possibly give? And you know the temptation is to give up, to throw in the towel, to quit. But it's Paul who says love is strong. It endureth all things. Love never fails. And this is what the Corinthian believers had become so obsessed in this matter of their gifts that they had stopped loving one another. He says, love never fails. He says, gifts will fail, but love never fails. Unlike anything else in this earth, it will pass away, but love will not fail. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, uh, rather, look at verse 12. For, no, we, for now we see through a glass, darkly. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth, here are these things, they abide, they're staying, they're dwelling. Now abideth three things, faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. The Bible tells us, that we are to seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek those things which are eternal, Christian. Seek those things which are eternal. The Bible says, faith, hope, love. When you seek to apply these things and emphasize, emphasize these things through your life, those things have eternal value. You can have man's applause all day for that which you do, you can have perfect comfort by all the gifts and talents that you were able. You built your home. You provided for your family. You, you uh, had a great savings account and all this income. You, you, you uh, had all this uh, on this earth that you amounted your life to be. But if you've missed the eternal value and all that God has for you, you've missed the hallmark. The Bible tells us and leaves us with this question. The question that I ask myself is, what is your talent? And is your talent being used for the glory of God? What is your gift? Is it being used in a form of love for Christ? I can't think of a, a and this is purely of the Lord, a better time that God has intended for us to be in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 than at the very first Sunday of the year. A day when we're still thinking in our mind of New Year's resolutions, beginning new things, setting goals for ourselves, something new I can and try to step into it at. Christian, let me ask you, when you look at our church, as the church of Corinth had gifts, have you discerned what your gifts are? Next question is, how are you using them? Are you using them for the glory of God? The third thing would be asked is, are you using them in love? Are they being done because you love God? Because the mature Christian is using his talents and gifts in love. The immature Christian may have all the talent, may have all the gifts in the world. They may even be using them, but they've missed the point. Let's have your head bowed and every eye closed. You've done well in listening.